Shambaugh, welcoming you to the May 17, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. Well, my May 10, 2016 edition was a bit rough around the edges, which I did not see coming, but uh, perhaps I should have. We're on rock-solid programming today, presumably. Today's guest is Dr. Ari Grayson, a Democrat running for the 37th District in the California State Senate. So uh, we'll be back after a station break with Dr. Ari Grayson. Stay tuned. Thanks for staying tuned, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the entire hour is California State Senate candidate Dr. Ari Grayson running as a Democrat in the 37th District. He is challenging incumbent John Morlock, a certified public accountant and former Orange County office holder who won the special election in March of 2015 when Mimi Walters vacated that seat when she was elected to the U.S. Congress the previous fall. Senator Morlock will appear on this program on May 31st, availing all of us the chance to get familiar with both candidates who will advance to the general election, both of them as they are the only two candidates who have filed to run for this office. As for today's guest, Ari Grayson is a research scientist, educator, and consultant to medical facilities and schools on environment factors. He combines energy efficient design with environments with the intent to support healthy human functioning. Specializing in Energy-efficient building and psychology, Ari Grayson completed one master's degree at Technion University in Haifa, Israel, and another master's of science and his Ph.D. at the University of Michigan. Ari Grayson has also uh, dabbled with the radio medium, 93.5. Some of you may know his two-hour show that he's had on Laguna Beach's KXE Low Power Station. He joins me today in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Ari Grayson. Good morning. Thank, thank you for having me. Well, we are glad to have you here. Let's start with... Well, actually, before we start... Be, I, tell I, me. I, I did want to just go back to your uh, your fundraising pledge uh, oh, for you. listeners. You know, these kinds of radio shows are so phenomenally important to our community. We have to provide opportunities for people to get their voice out. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a public official or whether it's somebody here at the university who has research that they'd like to share. Our community needs to know what's going on uh, amongst our various community members, and this is the best way to do that. So I hope your, your listeners are able to support in whatever way possible. Without any corroboration, collaboration, colluding, uh, Ari Grayson has managed to cover what <laughs> I earnestly try to do, what is my charter with Ask a Leader. So thank you very much for that pitch. So it's my if pleasure. he's going to do that, just I'm going to remind you all, 949-824-5824. Well, so let's start with... Why on earth do you, a reasonably obscure Democrat candidate here, want to challenge incumbent Senator John Morlock in this state Senate election? What's motivating you? Well, I'm actually quite an obscure 
Democrat because I've never run for public office previously. But what motivates me is I come back to a very simple idea, which was put out there by H.L. Mencken in the early part of the 20th century, when he said, for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. And unfortunately, that is so much of what I hear. I think that that really sums up what I hear from my Republican opponent, John Morlock. Uh, you know, John is as a CPA, and 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 you got to love the CPAs of the world. But when I hear him talk about the issues related to California, everything, as far as I can see, come from him, is cutting budgets, budget watching, being fiscally responsible. Those are all very, very noble goals. We do need to be fiscally responsible. We have to keep in mind that as a representative of the public, we have to be good stewards of the public dollar. But by the same token, we also need to keep in mind that these things are not just about what we're saving. When we're talking about leadership, we also have to look at what are you costing our population? What are you costing our society? What are you costing our culture? And how are you compromising our future? So we need to look at, at things from a fiscally responsible standpoint. But that can't be the be-all and end-all of government or leadership. We also have to make sure that vital needs of our community are met. Okay. Well, but welcome to Community Radio, bringing that to our attention. So in your campaign stump, you posit uh, that responsible solutions to the challenges in California must consider not just the potential savings, but the the hidden costs. Let's have you lay out some examples in the, some broader areas. You can get specific as you like. Uh, let's start uh, with, uh, well, we could cover the economy, the education, environment, and health. Let's start with the economy. Okay. Uh, is there a particular aspect of the economy? Well, in terms of what we're investing in, what's a good return on the dollar in terms of uh, whether you want to say the public infrastructure right. is a good investment that invigorates the economy, that that drives uh, the R and the research and development okay. sector, that uh, has a multiplier effect in r- refilling the 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 coffers of the state treasury. Okay, thank you, Claudia, because I I, I want to make sure that we answer specifically for the for your listeners today. Uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, uh, about the economy, it, it's very difficult to to isolate one aspect of these issues from others. And by that, I have several particular items that I think are most important during this election campaign or this election cycle. And those issues are education, the economy, energy, and the environment. And from my perspective, these issues are all inextricably linked to one another. So, for example, when we're talking about the economy, we cannot have a strong economy without having a strong, well-educated workforce. And one of the great challenges that we see now in our culture is that education has become so amazingly expensive for our students. It is virtually impossible for most students to come out without some measure of debt. And often that debt is overwhelming. So when we look at the economy and the things that we need to do, if we have students that are coming out with so much debt, unfortunately, rather than them being able to graduate from school, as so many people are doing this month, and going out and getting a job, 
buying a, a car, perhaps buying a small place, their first home of their own so that they don't have to go back to live with their parents. Very often, what we're seeing now is they simply cannot do that any longer because they're saddled with so much student loan debt. So we have to look at how is, how is student loan debt crippling our economy and preventing our young people from moving on with their lives. That slows the economic sector in terms of construction because we're not building or we're not providing the kinds of, of residences for our young people so that, uh, you know, that they've got their starter home. They've, they're able to start a family as soon as possible. When we look at the high interest rates associated with student loans now, I, I don't understand why we have to be loaning money to our college students, our most valuable resource, at an interest rate that is far above what they would pay in order to purchase a home. As a society, we need to be supporting our students so that we're not losing good talent. We're not losing good people because they simply make the economic judgment that they're better off spending four years getting a job, perhaps working their way up the corporate ladder, uh, and looking at, well, what, are, what am I losing in terms of four years of income and what is it costing me in terms of four years of purchasing my college education? Four years or longer. Four, oh, right, and then into the indebted period. And then, of course, Pampering exactly. Your, so what is this costing our society overall? How are we damaging our young people? Are we losing good young people because they're not able to take jobs doing the kinds of work that is near and dear to their heart but may not generate a lot of personal income? Inter and, and seeing them having to take jobs that they'd really rather not, uh, doing things that uh, they don't see as being in keeping with their values, but they need to do that in order to pay down their student loans and get on with their lives. So when we look at these things, we have to make sure that we're providing our, our students with the skills and with the ability to succeed and get out and start to do the kinds of things that they want to do in life and the kinds of things that they need to do in life. So when we look at that aspect of the economy, as I say, uh, these things are all interrelated with one another. Part of what you said, it's not a simple solution. It's a, but it's a complicated. It's a cascading it is. Uh, crisis with so many young households or young entities that are unable to provide in the way that they're best suited and earn earn the income to move on, uh, pay off their debt, and do, uh, take care of all those things. Right. And, and one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that until around 1970, the University of California's system yes. provided for nearly free public education. I've heard various numbers depending on when people attended school, but it might have been you know anywhere from $50 to $100 a semester to uh, to pay for whatever their university fees were, but by and large, their tuition was free. So a person could go through, uh, earn their degree, and become a contributing member of society without having been saddled with so much financial burden. So in the environment, what are some of the, the costs, the hidden costs to what policy is set with environment at, at the at California's level? So we've got ca the California has been leading the way as as a, a state in the country where there's precious little happening. I guess wh why don't I get into the specific that the 
we have in the well, it's an economic and an environmental concern that we have an agglomeration of environmental breakthroughs, a sector that deals with addressing climate change. Right. And I note that the Republican delegation in this county seems to turn its back on this vibrant economic sector. How would you as a state legislator work with the delegation here, which would be leveraging leaders in that party around the state to step up the game with addressing climate change, private sector enterprises? Well, I think there's a number of things that we can do. First of all, we want to look at renewable and green technologies more and more. Uh, we know that there is certainly a, a breaking point, and we're there already when we're talking about wind turbines. Wind turbines are now cost-effective as compared to other sources, uh, more traditional sources of energy. So we see wind turbines as, as one option. Um, certainly solar power is another terrific option. Um, you know, when we look at things at a, a local or even a national level, we're, we're hearing talk now about bringing back the coal industry. I think that's another great example of, of wrongheadedness in that when we look at the coal industry, there are myriad hidden costs. We have costs to our atmosphere. We have costs to our health of the mine workers. Uh, this last week, they had a, um, the presidential primary in the state of West Virginia, and Hillary Clinton was attacked because she had talked about you know, the fact that coal mining jobs were never going to return. Well, that doesn't mean that, that the people in, in Appalachia, especially in West Virginia, are going to be unemployed in perpetuity. What we need to do is help to re-educate the population so that they can be more involved in the development and the manufacturing of renewable technologies rather than putting them back into the ground to try and extract uh, a, a source of energy, coal, which we know is incredibly damaging to our environment. Uh, a lot of your listeners may not remember, but in the late 70s and the 80s, we had an issue about acid rain. There was so much sulfur being put into our atmosphere through uh, uh, coal-generated power plants that uh, when we had condensation, the water, the, uh, the uh, water molecules would pick up the uh, molecules from the, from the sulfur, and it was causing plants to uh, be destroyed. We saw in Europe, we saw uh, part of the Black Forest dying. We saw acid rain in s northeastern states here in, the, in our country. And so we need to look at cleaner sources of energy to help propel our economy and use the development of those resources um, as an opportunity to uh, replace jobs in dirtier industries like the coal industry that we see in the Northeast. So it may be the purview of a state legislature to step up, aggressively uh, provide for retraining of a sector in uh, in energy, like the coal mining uh, sector. That uh, so. And moving away from some, fracking. Right. So have you a design for how uh, you could offer aggressively? retraining and redevelopment in various sectors so that uh, people that are transitioning, the, seeing their incomes plummet to disappear, how to catch them in that 
Well, we can we can certainly do job training programs, uh, and we can we certainly we also we want to encourage the development of new technologies such as we're seeing with Tesla Motors. Uh, now, I'm not saying that Tesla is going to be the be all and end all, but when you look at where Tesla has pushed technology in the last five years, so that we we now have Tesla uh, planning for and taking pre-orders on an affordable electric car, $35,000, I understand, is the starting price. They'll probably wind up closer to $45,000 by the time they're but all people lined delivered. Up. But Pe- people, people lined up. People wanted to be a part of that. There's the glitz and there's the goodwill, I guess, right. rolled in there. There's certainly, so the gla- there's certainly the glamour associated with an automobile uh, sector that has been largely associated with $100,000 automobiles. So there's that halo effect. But also I think there are a lot of people out there that are very concerned about the environment getting uh, 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 petroleum-based automobiles off of our fossil roads. Fuels are, yes. Getting those fossil fuel-burning vehicles off of our roads can only be a good thing for our people in this region. Uh, you know, when I say these things are all tied, look at it from a health effect. Uh, a generation ago, the air quality in Southern California was absolutely horrifying. It's nowhere near where it needs to be, but it is far better because of the movement towards more energy-efficient cars. Uh, we see, as I say, with Tesla Motors trying to introduce more and more affordable uh, electric vehicles, our air quality will t- trend in a more positive direction, and that can only bode well for the people who live here in Southern California. For those of you who've just tuned in to Ask a Leader, I hear 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming on the web at KUCI.org. My guest is California State Senate candidate Dr. Ari Grayson, running as a Democrat in the 37th District. I'd like to keep on the policy discussion here, but I'd also want for you to give us a, an overview of the geography of the 37th District so everybody knows who they okay. are. I mean, some, most of you have already been looking carefully at your sample ballots, which you've had for about two weeks at the most. So uh, this is a, a reasonably well-drawn uh, map as far as not uh, sort of creating those isthmuses uh, that some of the gerrymandered districts in other state legislative uh, uh, drawn districts are. So we're, we're looking at a swath t- from Irvine going up north easterly toward Anaheim, so you might want to tick off all of the the municipalities that the 37th includes. The 37th Senate District is actually a truly phenomenal district because we've got some great communities throughout. We've got Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, the city of Irvine, Tustin, Orange, Villa Park, uh, Anaheim, east of the 57. Uh, We have Lake Forest, Foothills Ranch, and of course we have Laguna Woods as well. Laguna Woods is the only really oddity in terms of of how it kind of sticks out a little bit, but uh, it does fit very well into uh, uh, this district. Um, There are a number of very interesting challenges, but there are also some tremendous opportunities within this district. I think one of the great assets that we have in this uh, district is seen 
just from our studio. We're in the middle of the campus for the University of California at Irvine. A great resource. I'm not sure how many people realize this, but this uh, university is one of the top 10 public universities in the United States. It's actually considered among uh, the nation's best universities with the designation as a public Ivy school. There are actually six UC schools that have a public Ivy designation. And basically what that means is that the academic and research standards that we see here at at UCI are equivalent to what a a student would receive at a traditional private Ivy League university. So we have tremendous resources here, but we also have tremendous challenges. When you look at our coastal communities, we have Newport Beach. We're talking of the 7th. We're moving off the campus into the 37th district. Right. We're moving just to the other side of the mountain range here. But we have Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, and Laguna Beach. uh, And by direction of the California Coastal Commission, one of the fascinating things about those communities is those are the beach communities for this portion of Orange County. So the Coastal Commission mandates that those communities provide access to the inland communities so that everybody can enjoy the cognitive benefits as well as the physical benefits and just the sheer pleasure that access to the beach and nature provide for us. But I'm willing to bet that we have people all around us, not only here on campus, but across Irvine, Costa Mesa, Tustin, certainly Lake Forest, and so forth. We have people who know that if they're not in their car on their way to the beach by 9.30 or 10 a.m. on a Saturday or Sunday morning, they may as well not get in their car because they're going to spend an hour, an hour and a half trying to traverse that 10-mile distance. And park it. And park their car, absolutely, just to enjoy the ocean for two or three hours. So we see traffic here has become actually a deterrent to the very mission that our communities should be offering, and that is connectedness to the oceans. So how do we solve that? Well, Ari, I think it's very refreshing that you, as a Laguna Beach resident, see the public good that this your coastal community offers a broader region. I think that's a, it's a reflective of an expansive thinking on your part that uh, I don't think is a run-of-the-mill thinking. Well, you know, and, and I do appreciate that, but the way I, I perceive this is this is not Laguna's ocean. This is an ocean which uh, happens to touch along the shoreline at Laguna Beach, but it's not Laguna's ocean. The ocean belongs to all of us, and we need to keep in mind how important it is for human beings to be connected with nature. Nature is not some frivolous thing that we just kind of look at and say, you know, oh my goodness, isn't that pretty? It's not just pretty. It actually provides us with a restorative experience. It helps us to relax and connect in a way that even just sitting and vegging out in front of a TV does not provide. Um, Nature is essential to our well-being. And and one of the things that you'll sometimes hear people who are involved in environmental psychology or involved with natural resources uh, say it's something that they understand very well. Uh, It's a wonderful phrase that I love. uh, And we say simply that a city without trees isn't fit for a dog. Okay, so when we look at this, we have to understand what is it that human beings require, and nature is vitally important to our overall mental health and our well-being. So how do we, as, as coastal communities, provide access to that without strangling our well, communities? How? how? Well, I mean, because I'm, I'm sure we're not interested in blasting 
more lanes down the canyon, but are that you won't talking happen, yeah. about some kind of a, a shuttle? Or what's, how do we get the public to that coastal domain to restore themselves? Well, th- that's an interesting challenge because we yes. are certainly not going to build our way out of this mess. Certainly, if we were to even attempt that, we would destroy much of the very nature the, the that goose we... that lays that golden egg. Absolutely. Um, I think Canyon Road is something which is... is for Lagunans anyway, is pretty much off the table in terms of widening and expansion. That that battle was fought 20 years ago or so. Uh, it will be fought again if the issue were to be raised in terms of widening the canyon. Uh, what we need to do is we need to ensure that we have creative solutions and we tap into our resources around here. We tap into for example, here we have the, uh, the Henry Samueli uh, School of Engineering. They do phenomenal work over there. They um, do. Their expertise, in fact, I've been talking to one gentleman over there whose expertise is in water and in um, transportation. And what we were discussing is how we can come up with some creative solutions that will provide access without bringing in so many motor vehicles. Well, can we get in on that salon? Well, we can definitely, I I can bring you in on that. We're going to be hopefully putting together a tour for some key leaders in this area. One of the things, and I have an interesting question for you that I'm going to pose to you right now. Oh, gosh. This is this is not that tough, but you can t- certainly take a stab at it. Would you like to tell me how many national parks receive more visitors in one year? And these are 2015 statistics. How many national parks receive more visitors in one year than does Laguna Beach? Three. Which three? Well, see, Yosemite is one. Okay. And I'm trying to think of the in the. Uh, you're probably thinking Yellowstone. Uh, uh, well, that Yellowstone and Grand Canyon. Yellowstone and Grand Canyon. Okay, none of those. Okay. Receive more visitors in a year than Laguna Beach. The only national park that gets more visitors than Laguna Beach is Smoky Mountain National Park. Oh, okay. Smoky Mountain far and away outweighs uh, the number of visitors that any national park receives. They get about ten and a half million visitors in one year. I don't think anybody knows that, except for maybe a, the park attendance. Well, wow. you know, these statistics are readily available. So what do you available. attribute that to? Is, it, is there an access? Is, is it the, the eastern seaboard population that's I, getting I, away from it all over there? I think it's, it's exotic. It's, it, it's many, I think that the fact that it has many different access points is what contributes. Okay, that's they get important. About, they get about 10.5 million visitors a year. Now, Laguna gets between 5 and 6 million visitors in a year. That's according to the city and the Chamber of Commerce. Wow. Yosemite... Okay, which is the first one that comes to mind for most Californians. Yosemite gets about 20% fewer visitors than Laguna Beach. They only get about 4.2 million visitors a year. And I think that's an that's a important statistic to look at because when we're talking about the coastal communities, when we're talking about Laguna Beach in specific, Laguna Beach only has two points of access. Laguna Canyon Road, which is basically a two-lane scenic road, and Pacific Coast Highway. That's it. And so when we look at Laguna, we're talking about a community in which if you own more than one-tenth of one acre property, people look at you as though you're a land baron. 
Okay. Well, increasingly. <laughs> Laguna is very much is very much built out. We only have about twenty two thousand residents in the community. So when we're talking about this city, we're talking about receiving two hundred and fifty visitors per capita each year, and that is not evenly distributed. There is no way that Laguna Beach can build the roads or the parking structures to accommodate the sheer mass of visitors that they receive. So we have to go back to our national park system and see what they've done. Okay. We know that Yosemite has has uh, transitioned to a, a shuttle system. Right. And so they will not allow individually owned private vehicles to enter into the heart of their park. That might be a, a model or a paradigm, if you will, that the city of Laguna has to look at more closely. Okay. Uh, we probably want to look at a similar kind of solution for our other coastal communities because Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Dana Point, certainly all the way down to San Clemente, which is Dana Point and San Clemente are not within the district. Right. We need to look at, at connecting those cities along Coast Highway, but through a transportation system rather than a individual mode of transportation. And so uh, it's a, perhaps a win-win for residents and visitors that residents don't need the congestion. They want to get around, yes. they, and they, don't, they want their lungs cleared of all that dieseling for people that are sitting in traffic to get to the coast. So there, And, I, it, I and it's funny that you mentioned that, that part of it, the pollution aspect of it, because again, when we look at these, how these things are interrelated, I have somebody now who's, who's researching to see how many tons of particulates are dumped into Laguna's atmosphere on uh, a summer Saturday or Sunday. Right. Um, and I think the numbers will be absolutely devastating and frightening to the people of our communities when they see that. And, and I apologize. Uh, oh, no, I didn't mean fine. to interrupt you. That's fine. Well, you, uh, for those of you who just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader. My guest is, for this whole hour, California State Senate candidate Dr. Ari Grayson, running as a Democrat in the 37th District. He is a research scientist, educator, and consultant to medical facilities and schools on environment factors, and you're hearing him put that portfolio out. Well, um, there's... Look, uh, can, yes. can, can, can we just go back to, the, to we what we're saying for traffic? what we started, yes. yes. As I see this, once again, these things are interrelated because we have great resources here. We, ha- we are educating students here at UCI in fields that will help communities in our proximity, the city of Irvine, Laguna Beach, Newport, and so forth, okay? If we can, if we can tap into that resource, and we certainly we want to provide them with more funding, and I'd like to see f- funding come uh, and support come from developers, from labor, because what will happen is, is these young people will come out, they've got great ideas, they will be able to, pr- uh, to uh, provide uh, ideas and solution to keep this conversation going. Uh, As we develop transportation alternatives and we act on them, it's going to require engagement with our developers as well as our labor forces. This is going to provide great jobs for us as we build new infrastructure here to transport people. Uh, But it's also going to shape the way developers look at how they do business. Um, I know uh, development is is a dirty word, especially coming from uh, inland communities because it rings so harsh on the ear of our coastal communities because, you know, people in Newport, Laguna Beach look at it and say, well, you build 5,000 new homes. How are we going to accommodate all of those new people here? 
we need to look at how we're developing our community of Irvine and how that connects in with our coastal communities. Well, I wanted to fleetingly bring up an irony about opportunity and development in Irvine when the second solar decathlon was hosted last fall that the land developer in control of the great park with an interest in surrounding private surrounding property that is has been entitled to extensive development that the leading edge design ideas that everybody was ready to come and see it was physically very difficult to get to that that the city council was hamstringing the public relations to promote this gem of an exhibition so there were many barriers toward the public being exposed to these bright ideas at the solar decathlon and so it's as though what are we doing in the 21st century turning our back on uh, accelerating uh, technologies here that um and and building in ultra conventional models right. in the surrounding area uh, that irony wasn't lost on me and i bring it up now on my uh, little community radio platform because it it uh, it's it's only getting more uh, sort of maddening there well i think one of the great challenges that we have is that we constantly look to see what has worked in the past but we're not really looking as aggressively as we should as to what we need to do to build and go forth in the future. I I think one of the wonderful things that we see on our college campuses and amongst young people today is the fact that there is a growing sense of awareness of of the environment, of health, of how our environment uh, can cause stressors to us and diminish our health, but also how we want to build and how we want to live in the future. So, for example, a young person here in in Irvine many times would like to stay here in Irvine, but they can't afford the kind of single-family dwelling that we're seeing built here in a 1950s suburban or 1970s suburban uh, paradigm of construction. I think when you talk to young people, what you will often find is they don't want to be so tied to an automobile that is going to trap them on their way to work, you know, for 45 minutes, an hour a day, trying to commute across Southern California. What they would oftentimes rather do is work closer to home. They can oftentimes telecommute. They'd like to go and enjoy an evening of good food or good music without having to get into their car. We need to build communities that are actually more thoughtful and more holistic in that a person can have a relatively modest home, could be an apartment, a condo, whatever it might be, but be able to walk to a restaurant, to be able to walk to music, to be able to walk to a park or ride their bicycle to a nearby park. But that also allows them to put away or not own an automobile and be able to take transportation now if, they, if we build a transportation system. And, and we'll have to see what that would look like. Okay, It's going to take people much smarter than myself and teams of people much smarter than myself in order to work that all out and, and, and develop an idea that's going to be acceptable to our communities. 
but to be able to get on a, on a, a transportation system here in Irvine and know that in 27 minutes, whatever that exact time might be, that they're in Laguna Beach. They don't want to have to worry that, you know, well, if I leave at the wrong time, uh, I'm going to be sitting in traffic for an hour and a half. And, and the experience of going in to the beach and just relaxing and enjoying myself is overwhelmed by the stress of, of having to get in my car and sit in traffic. So, Ari, are you talking about then this, that you're talking about infrastructure? It's uh, partly an economic boost. It's a local government reconsideration of how we're doing business, getting to business, and, and uh, how we're functioning in general. So uh, what would you as a state senator contribute in terms of uh, legislation you would sponsor for reconfiguring the infrastructure so that we're dealing with all these ills you're talking about? Well, you know, I, rather than what my opponent, John Morlock, has been talking about in recent weeks, and that is uh, dismembering Caltrans and creating uh, the responsibility at a countywide level, um, I think that's very, very narrow vision. Uh, you know, if you don't like the bureaucracy of Caltrans, try having 58 bureaucracies that now have to coordinate amongst themselves. Um, I think, as I said at the outset, we certainly need to be responsible and respectful of the public dollars. We can certainly make our governmental uh, agencies more efficient. But I think to start with Caltrans and work with them to provide funding for Southern California so that we can build the kind of infrastructure that we need so that we can move people and products across our region without being bogged down in the kind of traffic that we see currently. So uh, my feeling is, is that this not only has to be a local solution, this is not something that Laguna Beach is going to solve, Newport Beach won't solve it, certainly the city of Irvine cannot solve it. This is something that we have to look at uh, more broadly. This has to be a regional approach. This needs to be a statewide approach. And I would like to see this actually be a national priority because there's no one in this country at a national level that doesn't recognize that Southern California in this region has absolutely horrifying traffic. We have the 405, which many people consider to be uh, the most highly trafficked uh, piece of interstate in our country. Um, anybody who's in their car trying to make their way to work now understands that or has just arrived at work understands that. Uh, if we can build the kind of transportation system in this region that the area deserves and demands, I think it can serve as a, uh, as a light, as a, as a beacon of hope, not only in this region, but across our nation. Well, I see the, the outcome we want uh, however, I'm not sure what what does it look like in terms of a change in the infrastructure. Are you talking about some kind of collaboration of other parties with Caltrans to uh, develop more lines, more um, bimodal um, linkages, with um, to get people out of their car on, on their bike and on right. their on the bus? Or how are how are you going to change that so we have a little? concrete idea of what what's the possible? I think everything has to be on the table. I would love to see uh, Canyon Road in Laguna Beach become more of a um, uh, uh, multimodal 
transportation corridor so that if, uh, if a person in Irvine wants to get on their bicycle and come into Laguna Beach, they can do it much more safely. They're not having to uh, weave around traffic or take their lives into their hands. Uh, I would like to see something that looks or, is, or functions more like a type of, of train system, a multi-car kind of system. Fixed rather rail. Than, uh, some, some sort of fixed rail, perhaps. And, and again, you know, this is kind of a sketchy idea. Let's see what that would actually look like and how it would function, the kind of uh, numbers uh, of, of individuals that we could transport. Uh, perhaps we need to, you know, look at something which is more... Uh, aesthetically friendly to some of our coastal communities. We don't want a high-profile uh, light rail coming in. We don't want more wires coming in. That's why I say when we're looking at some of the, the industries like we're seeing with the electric car industry, let's look and see, well, what do we think transportation should be like in the year 2050? And start looking at how we would engineer those solutions now. now. Okay, okay. Well, I... There is more to be said. I I want to be able to cover a few more areas here. I, time's really racing here. Governor Brown's fix for affordable housing, the housing crunches to cut red tape in uh, permitting process. So yeah. in Costa Mesa, as in other cities, the grassroots response is to factor into the permitting process inclusionary zoning. And we've covered a bit, bit of that on the yeah. show in uh, several months ago. Uh, that means that the trade here the trade is if in allowing a developer increased density of their projects that there would be a set aside of affordable units but i don't hear the governor addressing that he's just saying he wants to expedite permitting but uh that i don't know if that's giving costa mesa green light how would you as a state legislator address this amidst what the governor is green lighting well, certainly we need to have more affordable housing. We need to have uh, housing that our students finishing out their education can own their first piece of property, start to invest, rather than paying uh, all their money and their uh, disposable income to pay back their student loans. Uh, I, I think we, we certainly we do need to cut through the red tape. Uh, we need to streamline the process. I think what, one of the things we also need to do is work with our developers so that they understand that this is going to take a bit of a different approach from their standpoint. That, uh, first of all, uh, building much in terms of low-income housing or affordable housing in Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Huntington Beach is a very difficult task because of the amount of, of dense construction that we already see in place. We may well have to have more of that here in Irvine, and that's probably a distasteful thing to folks here in Irvine when they hear the, uh, the idea of affordable housing, they think of poor people. And that, you know, that certainly is an obstacle that we ha have to overcome in terms of education. When we're talking in terms of affordable housing, we're talking about, uh, you know, starter properties, uh, a... Um, you know, a small condo, a small townhouse, whatever it might be for a young person, a young family, a retired person uh, to purchase. So we need to we need to encourage that kind of development. And we need to in, certainly ensure that our, our developers understand that as they go to a more 21st century form of development, and by that I mean more 
multi-use development, they will actually find themselves to be more profitable. Uh, because as we build more densely in our communities, the property values increase. As we build the transportation system connecting these communities, the property values increase because it's no longer financially viable. Uh, uh, property values tend to go up when we announce the location of a, of a major transportation system, especially when we're talking about something which is relatively quiet and green in its design. So when, we're, when we look at these things, property values go up. It means you have to build more densely, which makes both the, uh, the uh, transportation system and the housing more viable. So t I wanted to cover policy more, but I want to make okay. sure everybody has a chance to look at, get an, to know you and other places. But I, I, one thing I want to know, although Republicans no longer hold the majority of registered voters, they, tur they turn out to vote in greater n percentages, winning all the state and the federal offices in this region. How would you dial up the voters here, especially the young voters, to, to participate in, to get and make yourself more visible. How are you doing that? Well, wh what we tell young voters is is that if you don't if you don't get out and vote, your voice is not heard. If your voice is not heard, somebody else is controlling the narrative. You need to get out there. You need to make sure that your voice is heard, that people understand that uh, your vote will not be taken for granted, that you need to be engaged, you need to be responsible, and you need to say this election is going to shape what my future looks like. So you need to be involved. You need to make sure that uh, the vision that you have for how you want to live, whether it's economically, whether it's environmentally, whatever your values are, that those values are acted upon. Now, uh, this is going to take a lot of creativity. It's going to take a lot of innovation. It's going to take a lot of leadership. I don't know about your listeners, but I know from my own perspective, when I'm looking for innovative or creative solutions, the first person on my dial list is probably not going to be my CPA. So we'll come back around to my opponent, John Morlock, whose answer to everything seems to be, you know, to cut budgets, to cut uh, public employee pensions, to um, uh, oppose the minimum wage because we don't know how that's going to hurt people. Um, I know having disposable income can be uh, deadly painful to young people. Uh, when we look at these things, we need to have somebody in office who actually understands and can create a vision and work with community members to enact that vision so that we have not only ideas, but we have solutions for our next generation of leaders. So, not to a CPA, who, who uh, exactly would be your brain trust then? Or is your brain trust? Who is my brain trust? Yes. Obviously, we've got great laboratories and facilities around the, uh, around the state. We've got UCI, UCLA, UCSD, all phenomenal institutions. We also have the private university, Chapman University, here in our district as well. Uh, so we look to those folks for leadership. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I often hear disparaged is, oh, you know, the folks at universities, that's just, you know, Ivy Towers. Well, look here at UCI. You need to look no further for a great example than over at the Stem Cell Research Center, which I was fortunate enough to tour recently. Uh, the folks over at the Stem Cell Research Center are conducting the kind of research that will help us to cure Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, and other forms of, of dementia. 
These are not Ivy Tower leaders. These are the people who are coming up with the, and developing the research that problem solves for us and will provide us with the solutions that we need, not only from a medical standpoint, but other aspects of the university here, the, as I say, the engineering department and so much more that will provide us with some of the public policy, some of the transportation and so forth that will lead the way. Uh, we have certainly, we have great public leaders already in place. We have some terrific people uh, across the city of Laguna Beach who I'm very familiar with. I look to their guidance and their leadership, but we also have great leaders across our communities in Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, certainly here in Irvine as well. Uh, we've got some great individuals who are already serving us publicly, and we have uh, s some other individuals um, also terrific that I think will be uh, terrific, uh, just outstanding public servants. Uh, one person in particular that I want to call out um, is uh, Ms. Anila Ali, who uh, some of your leaders may be familiar with. Um, she's going to be running for the Irvine City Council, and I think she would be an absolute terrific uh, individual to work with on the City Council because she understands the issues of education and uh, environment here in the city of Irvine. So how are you going to be making yourself less obscure to the the voting to the electorate. Uh, where are are you going to have any events coming up that you I, can t post us now? And how do people follow your I've campaign? I've got some Ari? events coming up that I, I can post on my website so that people can go to that and, and, and see. Uh, I think that would probably be a more efficient way. Uh, so I will post that. My website is www.ari, just A-R-I, Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, 37SD, for senatedistrict.com. So it's www.aregrayson37sd.com. Um, I'd like to have more young people involved in my campaign. Uh, they bring a certain vibrancy and energy and ideas. Uh, I'd love to have uh, young people in, involved. Uh, they're the people who are going to be most impacted by the decisions that we're making now because they'll be living with them for the next 25 to 50 years. Well, I guess I want to string together all of the policy prerogatives that you were mentioning okay. and I guess lay out the, uh, the thought that all of them derive productivity in the economy. That we're, we match everybody with their desired career instead of a career that earns them money to pay off a debt. If we get them out of their car that's dieseling and pro prolonging their commute, protracted commute. All of these things all address how we can raise productivity. And I, I, I don't know if that's something that you want to um, sort of centrally kind of loop together here as, as the goal in right. uh, the, an economic goal to fixing all of those sectors that we've covered today as we wrap up. Well, you know, certainly the economic goal is to have everybody recognize, or as much of the, our community recognize, uh, certainly as possible, that the economy rests on innovation and technology. We're not going to bring back the manufacturing jobs that so many people talk about. You know, when, when Donald Trump on the national stage jumps up and down about how he's going to bring back, you know, manufacturing jobs that were outsourced to China, it's sheer and utter demagoguery and pure nonsense because China has already outsourced those jobs to cheaper labor sources in Vietnam, the Philippines, and elsewhere. We're not going to get those jobs back. So understand that from the outset. 
what we can do, and this is where California's great strength is, is we can provide the leaders in science, technology, and innovation. We have Silicon Valley. We have a phenomenal, phenomenal university system. We have 11 uh, excuse me, seven of the top 11 public universities in the nation are the UC schools. We need to ensure that they're strong, that they have funding to conduct the research that they need to conduct, that we have students who are well-trained, that when they graduate and they move on into the private sector, that they're leaders in in engineering, in medicine, in the social sciences, in, in every field possible so that they help our, our population also to understand the importance of what we're talking about here today and how we ensure that e the economy here in California is one of the national leaders and the best in the world. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence that with a population of 36 million people, California has the eighth largest economy in the world. It is not doing that through, it is not doing that through manufacturing and cheap labor. It's expensive to live here. We need to make sure that people have good, well-paying jobs, whether it's in the construction industry, whether it's in, in any other, any other field you can think of. We need to make sure people have good, well-paying uh, uh, well jobs. That begins with education. Well, Ari Grayson, 37th District, California State Senate, Democratic candidate. I want to thank you for coming in all the way into the studio today to talk about what we're doing, what you would plan on doing, were you elected in the fall. Now, you're on the primary, as I mentioned in the beginning, Yes. You will advance. You will. There's no elimination of any candidates. Both the Republican and the Democratic candidates right. running in the primary will advance because there are only two that have filed for right. that. The top two candidates go on to the general election since there's just the two of us. I, I'm assured of that. Um, I did not enter this race until a little bit late, uh, until uh, March. And so uh, it's taken me just a little bit of time and energy to build up my team and to make sure that I have the structure in place. And I'm able to do that with the luxury of knowing that I don't have to worry about elimination in the primary, that I will go on to the general election. I would love to have as many of your, your listeners, your students, young people, older people, whoever it is, get in touch. My uh, contact information is on the website, the email address. Get in touch, volunteer, let's have meet and greets. Let's have serious conversations. This is not a bumper sticker election. Let's have thoughtful conversations and come up with meaningful solutions. Well, indeed, I want to thank you for coming in the studio today. So this is my wrap. Next week, we'll hear from UCI political science professor Tony Smith, who predicted last fall the outcome of the Republican Party's nomination process. As well, he'll cover the extra important and sexy topic of gerrymandering. It's too important to miss, and it's in his latest book. Then, in advance of Memorial Day, Ms. Kaylin Maxwell, surviving spouse of Marine Reserves Corporal Nathan Maxwell, will honor her husband who died by suicide. She'll speak as an affiliate with TAP's Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors a noble program that is always welcome on this show. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening.